right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for tuning into The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at The Block. I'm very excited to be here at the Standard Chartered office in Midtown. It's it's quite phenomenal up here. And on the other side of the mic, recording with us live, is the CEO of Zodia Markets, Usman Ahmad. Sir, thanks so much for having me here. Thanks for the tea. Uh, absolute pleasure, Frank. I'm delighted to catch up. Well, it's such a pleasure to know that you listen to the show. So folks who are maybe unenlightened, Zodia Markets is backed by SC Ventures, the Innovation and Ventures Unit of Standard Chartered Bank, and BC Technology Group, Asia's leading digital asset company and parent of SFC, Licensed Digital Asset Platform, OSL. But before we dive into that and more, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsors. What's next for digital currency after a brutal 2022? While the core promise of crypto hasn't changed, digital currency is still forming the base layer for a new global commerce infrastructure. From merchants at the point of sale to corporations that want to pay suppliers and even employees more efficiently. Circle has always seen itself as a connector of the traditional world and the new world of digital currency. It's like building houses. What's the foundation and can you get the foundation right? Throughout Q1, I'm happy to host leaders from Circle here on The Scoop to give listeners the chance to hear how one of crypto's most prominent builders is paving the way for digital currency utility. Visit circle.com scoop for more information. This show is sponsored in part by CleanSpark, America's Bitcoin miner. With CleanSpark, you can feel good about investing in the Bitcoin ecosystem because CleanSpark uses low-carbon energy for their Bitcoin mining data centers and is always optimizing their operations to increase energy efficiency and reduce e-waste, all while partnering with the communities they operate in. If you want to support the future of Bitcoin while also supporting the environment, visit www.cleanspark.com to learn more about the CleanSpark way. So for folks who are maybe unfamiliar, walk us through the business. We were kind of talking a bit about it before we turn on the mics. Custody seems to be at the core. What else is there? Well, yeah, let me chime in right there. So Zodia Markets, we have been set up by Standard Chartered in partnership with OSL, very clearly to be a segregated business, majority owned by a bank, but focused on the trading side of the digital asset space, so focused on cryptocurrencies to start with, but we are non-custodial. We have a sister company with Zodia Custody, same name, which is where a lot of confusion kicks in, mm-hmm. that is focused on custody. And we deliberately set up the businesses that way to, I think, anticipate the way the world may evolve. Now, we took a bit of a, a bet, we took a bit of a gamble on that, but our view was quite clearly that, you know, the fully integrated, vertically integrated crypto asset firms that offer custody, offer trading, offer prop trading, you know, the whole kind of gamut, as it related to institutional adoption, that wouldn't necessarily work for institutions looking to get into digital assets or scale them like they trade other asset classes. So we very clearly set up two businesses that are distinct in nature legally distinct, separate shareholding, separate structures, have arm's length agreements in place, but we have partnerships with other custodians and Zodiac Custody would have partnerships with other exchanges and trading firms. So we are deliberately set up independently to try and bring some of the, what I'd call the traditional finance ecosystem 
into the crypto space. And does that market structure sort of remove a bit of risk for those clients? Exactly. That was the thinking. I've been thinking about it for a while because I left my job in traditional finance and went down into the crypto rabbit hole in 2018. Mm -hmm. Helped the OSL business get regulated by the Securities and Futures Commission in Hong Kong. I ended up as a regulated person and there was requirements around client asset segregation. Right? There were requirements around consumer protection, insured assets for the custody business, but the SFC didn't really have a purview of a custodian, so they kind of made it up mm -hmm. a little bit and did a decent job. But exactly your point there, Frank, was you know, the segregation of duties, separation of the credit risk functions, as it were, and ultimately, as we've seen with some of the firms that have struggled over the last year or so, or, you know, or no longer exist or are going through legal troubles, you know, the ability for firms to almost do the wrong thing by taking client assets onto their own balance sheet and looking to use them for inappropriate purposes, shall we say, that was something we wanted to avoid from inception to try and bring that level of maturity and trust into the ecosystem that we felt might be challenged, shall we say. Because it kind of adds, or it sort of like dismantles the incentives that should be there, right? I think that's a lot of what we saw within these different desks, right? Yep. No, I don't think that was a crucial part of our thinking, right? Very simply, if you are the client's custodian, you have access to all of their balances, and, and then you see that a lot of their trading activity, you can infer what that client may want to do, that's great for the firm, is it necessarily the right thing for the clients? Do they want a single firm to know everything they want to do, their trading strategies, potentially have the ability to trade ahead of them in that trading strategy, which, you know, front running in traditional markets is taboo, mm -hmm. yet, you know, a lot of that information... In crypto, it's great. In crypto, it was the norm. <laughs> so, walk me through some of these jurisdictional dynamics that you're seeing. Obviously, the firm, I mean, in its DNA, sort of cross-jurisdictional Asia, Europe, and of course, we're sitting here in, in Manhattan. Where's the energy and where are clients sort of pushing you to operate, perhaps? Sure. Well, I think I'll start with kind of what we thought about when we set the business up. So when we set the business up, this was, call it 2020, late 2020. And into 2021, when we signed a partnership agreement between OSL and, and Standard Chartered, we looked across the world and we thought, number one, where do we have a right to win? Number two, where is it going to be potentially challenging to launch a business? At the time, we felt the US was particularly well served from major participants operating and having been established in the US. Frankly, we also felt at the time that there was still a degree of regulatory uncertainty. So we started by kind of not discounting the US, knowing that it's the biggest market in the world and we would want to establish ourselves at some point in the future, but we started by focusing actually in Europe. We felt that the UK and Europe was perhaps underserved in the institutional crypto ecosystem. So it felt like an opportunity there. And with the backing of Standard Chartered, you know, the opportunity as a UK headquartered PRA and FCA supervised firm as well as the footprint into the Middle East and Africa, we felt like that was a great place to start. So we, you know, UK headquartered, we're registered by the Financial Conduct Authority. We've got that business up and running. We're in very late stage conversations with the Central Bank of Ireland to get the passporting, you know, as Mika comes in, we'll look at how that allows us to then passport across Europe. So we started with a UK and European based approach. And whilst we were 
you know, kind of going through the process with the regulators, we thought, well, actually in parallel, let's explore the Middle East. That was on our roadmap, perhaps, you know, a year, two years down the line post-launch. And we started looking at the Middle East because we felt actually Abu Dhabi in particular had a really interesting and relatively mature regulatory framework, which frankly at the time neither the UK nor Europe really had. Mm. There was talks about that coming. So where we are right now, we're up and running live in the UK. We are very close, you know, almost hopefully weeks away from the Central Bank of Ireland giving us the nod. And we're hoping to obtain our in-principle approval from ADGM in the coming weeks. What we've seen is that's great from a footprint perspective. We were kind of right, but actually a lot of demand we're seeing, particularly from the institutions that are already operating in the space, in the crypto space, they're demanding that we come to the US. Mm. So there's a number of firms that we would like to partner with and like to work with who have kind of said, we need you to be present in the United States. So that has meant that we, for the right clients, we have accelerated the strategy to access the US markets. We're in conversations with advisors here. We're kind of going through our registration processes in certain states. We're talking to regulators as well to look at how we could establish ourselves and you know, respond to that client demand. Now, the points I made earlier were about why we didn't start in the US. They still exist. There's some fabulous firms here in the US that are offering services into you know, both retail and institutional. We're very focused on the institutional market, but you know many of those firms. I think you know maybe maybe a few of them have thinned out over the last you know few months or last year or so in the crypto ecosystem. Yeah, it seemed like there was this race to become a full suite prime broker, and now many of those firms are either bankrupt or have just not hit that watermark necessarily. If you think about the BitGo deal with Galaxy, Genesis is beleaguered at this point, given the sort of meltdown of their credit business. You know, Coinbase is sort of in a stronger position, but I don't think they're necessarily super keen to lean in on that lending aspect. You know, people are hungry for credit in a post-crypto credit meltdown world. How do you fill in those gaps? Well, I think that's one of the key things that we felt was actually mispriced or not priced in crypto. Credit risk was an afterthought. And I think what we've seen over the last you know, nine months or so is that that mispricing or lack of pricing of credit risk has come home to roost. People or firms essentially offering uncollateralized lending are no longer in business, many of them, right? The demand we're seeing is you know, the backing of a leading international bank is a differentiator. How exactly, like, can you lean on sort of the credit risk specialists that work within the broader organization to assess the risk there? We don't lean on them, but we partner with them. So, we so it's have almost a, like you're a client. We are to a certain extent, but we're a subsidiary. So we work within the constraints and the governance model. We had to go to the board risk committee at Standard Chartered to even submit our regulatory business plan. And we had to get all of the risk functions on side, including you know, market credit and model risk, as an example. So we worked very closely in conjunction with inherited policies and standards from and operate within the constraints and the guardrails of a leading international regulated financial intermediary. That gives our clients a degree of reassurance because they're used to working with those firms. They're used to working with Standard Chartered. Many of the clients that we're talking to are 
fully overlapped. Right? They are clients of the bank as well. And so they've literally said to us, we want to work with you. Can you service us in, in these kind of jurisdictions? Because they see that despite you know, being a subsidiary, they see that reassurance of the capability that we bring to bear because we've had to go through that sign-off process that a bank, you know, any new products in a bank would have to go through as an example. The core promise of crypto hasn't changed. Stable coins can bring faster payments at internet scale, from merchants at the point of sale to corporations that want to pay suppliers or even employees more efficiently. Circle has always seen itself as a connector of the traditional world and the new world of digital currency. USDC is more than just a stable coin. USDC is also an open source platform. When our transactions actually final and you can't change them anymore, that's another great quality property of cash because when you switch his hand, it's fine. Right. Can you digitize all those good quality properties and bring that in a digital form? USDC by Circle is at the forefront of this innovation. And that's why The Scoop is partnering with the folks at Circle to tell you guys why and how our industry is moving. A lot of us who have built USDC, myself included and Jeremy included, we are technologists. So we approach this problem from a technology point of view. Visit circle.com scoop for more information. Here's a message from our sponsor, CleanSpark. CleanSpark is a NASDAQ-listed company that mines Bitcoin. Basically, they build and operate data centers with tens of thousands of computers that help secure Bitcoin, making it more reliable and secure for anybody, anywhere to use. These computers require a lot of energy, but that's why CleanSpark predominantly uses low-carbon energy to power their machines. But that's not all. They care about the communities where their data centers are located. They create jobs, donate to schools and community centers, and revitalize aging electricity grids in rural parts of America. They aren't just a Bitcoin miner. They're one of the most efficient and sustainable Bitcoin miners in America. Visit www.cleanspark.com to learn more. Something that a lot of people have talked to me about since the end of last year into, I mean, even just last week, is that the age of under-collateralized lending in crypto is over which if you're an institutional investment firm trading from, that's not great because it's not as capital efficient. How can we get to a point where we can extend credit in an under-collateralized fashion? I think the first thing you have to do is go back to basics and look at credit worthiness. So, you know, basic credit risk assessments need to be undertaken, an understanding of the business that's being run. One of the challenges has been that there's no diversification. Right. So, so so if you look at traditional finance, ultimately, you know, there is a credit system that operates and underpins all of traditional finance. Mm -hmm. But typically the firms that the banks are lending to rarely from an interdealer perspective, do they only have one business line? Right. An interdealer lending model, as an example, you know, if, if a bank is lending, you know, standard charters is lending to another bank, they typically look at diversification of risk. Now, if you're looking at low collateral lending or under collateralized lending, what you want to have is a degree of reassurance that a business isn't going to go bust because one asset class goes down. Yeah. Right. So if we look at a business model and we go, you know, for a pure solely crypto firm, that's 100% correlated to the crypto markets. Mm -hmm. For a firm that's maybe trading multi asset, actually, you've got a bit of diversification. The crypto markets come off. But the equity markets come up or the fixed income markets come up and the equity markets go down and, and crypto is independent of those or operating independently. Sometimes it hasn't operated independently. 
right? But ultimately, you've got enough diversification to know that... As an organization. As an organization, that firm isn't necessarily going to go under because of one sole asset class. But if you're a crypto-native lending firm, prime broker, you can't really do that. You're not going to have any equities or treasuries, counterparties. Because you're lending to or against a firm that has almost 100% correlation to your own business, right? So you're both in the same boat, right? You know, you're both directly tied. So that's been, I think, one of the challenges around, I mean, coming back to the regulatory clarity point, right? Firms haven't been able to get in as much as they would like in that diversified model. And by firms, you mean institutions, traditional banks, banks, broker dealers, asset managers, that actually could participate in this ecosystem much more fully than they do if they had the credit-worthy counterparties, the infrastructure and the capability to understand that infrastructure. So it's kind of a vicious cycle, right? We can't have sort of a robust crypto credit market without regulatory clarity. I don't know if that's necessarily a cycle. It's just two things that are connected. But so what do we do in the interim? We don't necessarily get institutional participation without either of those two things as well, right? So you kind of the, the, the virtuous circle of, you know, many in the crypto industry have been calling for clarity around regulation. I think that chorus is getting even louder, particularly in the US right now. But firms wanting to participate are going, we kind of need to know what the rules are. We understand the rules for trading equities or fixed income or FX. We don't really understand the rules for crypto because there aren't any rules, right? Or there's no clarity around which area you're going to operate within. Now, you know, Europe and the UK seemingly have made some decent steps over the the last few months and going forward. Asia has been quite forward-looking, both Hong Kong and Singapore, Japan kind of being one of the earliest adopters of, of crypto regulation. The US runs the risk of being left behind a little bit or sees a lot of these businesses that look to go into other jurisdictions that are perhaps providing a bit more clarity. Can you give a sense of the scale of the business? How many clients? Sure. I mean, we're still early. You know, we're in the kind of 10 to 15 clients you know, onboarded. We've got a pipeline of about 80 that are currently in the process of being onboarded. So we're about a 30-odd person, 35-person company at the moment. Mm-hmm. So we are growing, and we're growing into a market that is shrinking. Mm. Or we're growing into a market that is providing more opportunities to pick up talent, I suppose, as a way of describing it. Now, the market cap obviously isn't, I suppose, where it was a few years ago, but we're firm believers that the crypto market cap is going to come back and will grow beyond where it was. Because again, we feel like we can help unlock that institutional access into the crypto markets. And then more broadly, digital assets as they evolve, right? So ultimately, tokenization and broader, you know, DLT-based assets, you know, including things like stable coins, central bank digital currencies. Yes, your analyst over at the parent company put a target of 100,000 for 2024 That's for right. Bitcoin. Yeah, so Jeff Kendrick, you know, shout out to him. He does some great research. The thing to always highlight with research analysts is they can be wrong. They often are. They often are. They often are. Yeah, Jeff will be the first to admit that he also called it you know, perhaps slightly optimistically a, a year or so ago. But that being said, he, you know, he's also called the end of the crypto winter. I'm Does it feel right. like that in terms of the client engagement or the conversations? It does. How busy is your calendar? My, my calendar is very busy. And it's busy with many of the right conversations. I just wish they would go faster. Mm. So I think, yeah, with everything that's gone on in the markets, the... What's know, preventing them from going? I mean, everything's relative, right? Like... Are the conversations as slow as conversations you would have with similar counterparties in traditional finance? They are 
as slow. Yes. Yeah. So I wouldn't say they're slower, but relative to the world that I've now got used to over the last four and a half so years, they're a lot slower. Mm-hmm. That being said, they're the right kind of conversations. There's a lot of future looking, you know, talk to me about staking, talk to me about how that's going to evolve versus, okay, well, how do we get access in a safe and secure manner right now to trading through a centralized venue? So what's the number one service that these types of firms want from the company? So you touched on it earlier. They want to be able to trade the asset class, but they want to be able to trade the asset class without changing everything in the way they operate right now. Mm -hmm. T0 settlement is scary for firms that have typically operated on a T plus two cycle for many, many years and are used to funding their businesses at best on an overnight or plus one basis. So they're asking for credit or they're asking for overnight funding because they can purchase the crypto and settle it now, but without pre-funding, which many of these firms don't want to tie up capital, that they want to be able to deliver the fiat along payment rails that won't allow them to move that instantly. Now, we've had the challenges in you know, in banking recently that we touched upon prior to the marks being turned on that exacerbates that problem. But that's ultimately one of the things that they're looking for. And they're looking for a firm that can offer the future without so much of the uncertainty. So how much can you actually do at this point in terms of pre-funding and working with clients to meet those needs? We have the ability with our team directly. So we've got our own risk team that looks at credit risk and and other bits and pieces. We can extend the credit line for appropriate credit-worthy counterparties. We can offer access to the crypto ecosystem through our network of partners. So we've got a huge number of liquidity providers, partners already providing us pricing. So we can offer trading activity on our exchange or OTC to clients into the ecosystem with hopefully a relatively comfortable backing of a major firm. It's funny, I remember a conversation I had about four years ago with an executive or a CEO at one of the major crypto firms, and he said, and it's almost eerie to think back on, the unicorn in this space right now is a crypto credit risk expert. There's maybe three of them in the whole world, which is, in hindsight, probably how we got into this mess. Maybe now there's 13. Maybe, but I don't think you need to be a crypto credit risk expert. I think you need to understand credit risk. Mm-hmm. I don't think crypto adds anything unique. I mean, where I talked about correlation earlier, mm-hmm. that's got nothing to do with crypto, mm-hmm. funnily enough. But if you think about crypto as just another asset class, you look at you know the credit worthiness of a counterparty, you look at their balance sheet, you look at their exposure, you look at what kind of business they're in, you look at what the, uh, the correlated nature of their business or decorrelated nature of the business. I wouldn't have said... You know, a crypto expert yeah. is necessarily required. But the other issue is that we couldn't really get a good sense of these balance sheets. Agreed. And that goes back to what I was saying earlier about incentives. If you are a VC-backed crypto broker and you're competing against another VC-backed crypto broker and they want that hockey stick growth, or their investors do, if you ask to see the sort of underpinnings of a balance sheet and they just give you a piece of paper with a little heart, you might overlook it. You're absolutely right. And ultimately, that's where I think some of the maturity needs to come into the ecosystem of understanding what the requirements are. Like Things like going through an audit are unpleasant, right? They're challenging. They take up time away from developing product or developing services. Nobody likes an audit. For some reason, no one likes audits, right? But guess what? They give that reassurance. You know, we talked about that earlier. They give that degree of independent verification. Now, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong, audits aren't always right. But ultimately, it is someone, an independent professional firm that's 
validating that what that piece of paper says is credible. And I think whichever way you slice it, we're in a, an environment where we're talking about decentralized and trustless systems. But with credit, you need to be able to trust that a firm is operating the way it says it's operating. And I think running safe and sound businesses, I don't think differs in crypto than it does any other kind of business or any other asset class in you know, financial market terms. You have to do the basics. Mm -hmm. And those are some of the basics I think you need to have to run a, a mature and credible business. So what are you anticipating for the next six months? How do you anticipate the market shaping up? I think the biggest thing for me is really almost coming out of the doldrums. I think a degree of regulatory clarity that we touched upon earlier, I think will help. It will help to provide a bit more certainty. I'm hoping the US, whether you know, the SEC or the CFTC, you know, federally, the, you know, there's a determination around where this industry goes. And if they don't get on board? Then I think the, the flow is going to have to go elsewhere. You know, having conversations while I've been here already where you know, people are telling me that actually the businesses are already relocating away from the US, which I think is short-sighted, if I'm honest, because it's still the biggest market in the world, but is going to be an outcome for many of these firms that can be more agile. So I think institutional adoption will flow. I'm going to say that because that's kind of the thesis of my entire business. Mm -hmm. I think regulatory clarity will help with Mika coming in, with the consultation in the UK, hopefully moving into a regulatory framework that can then be adopted and, and applied. That, I think, will help to accelerate. We've also seen Asia, a bit of a resurgence post-COVID mm -hmm. in Hong Kong in particular. And Have you been out there in the past six months or so since uh, that resurgence has kind of kicked off? I was in Singapore in November. Mm -hmm. I didn't make it to Hong Kong. I would love to get back out there soon because I, I spent many years living there. Um, I've got lots of friends there. <laughs> but I think it'll be interesting because I think, you know, one of the things has been for Hong Kong, certainly they had political instability, then COVID. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, hopefully they're coming out of that. I think there's a big focus on building back. But I see Asia still being an engine for growth in the crypto ecosystem. It definitely feels like there's more energy there right now. Yeah. That's at least the sense that I have. And again, I think there is a degree of clarity that's been provided. There's frameworks that firms can operate within. And so they are able to do that with a bit more certainty, certainly now on a forward-looking basis. So I think that lends itself to more competition. And competition ultimately on a global basis is a good thing, right? I'm certainly not here to be the only business operating in this space. You know, I think collectively, the crypto industry needs more businesses operating to provide that degree of assurance and credibility that the ecosystem requires more broadly. So where can our listeners learn more about what you're working on? Our website's always a great place to start. So zodiamarkets.com, you know, can follow me on LinkedIn. You know, we try and publish a number of thought pieces, mm -hmm. talk about, you know, kind of some parallels from history and how that might impact the ecosystem going forward. And we're you know, particularly active in trying to build that profile, particularly on the institutional side. We've been working with a number of journalists and, and others like yourself, right, to, to try and get the message out there a little bit more because I feel like we've been kind of a little bit under the radar so far mm -hmm. and we're actively working with the bank, the Standard Charter, to kind of be clear around how the proposition is now and how it's going to evolve going forward. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. My absolute pleasure. Thank you. Great to meet you and, and great to connect. Pleasure's all mine. And thanks for listening. The Scoop will be back for you again with another great guest. Have an awesome day.
All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and not necessarily those of the blocks. Podcast guests may have taken positions in the assets or other matters discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For full terms, visit theblockcrypto.com slash terms dash service.